Hey, podcast of sores. Hi. If you follow us on social media, then you already know. The show this week is on Tuesday because we just joined a brand new podcast network launching today. We're thrilled to say that we're now part of the Indiesaurus <laughs> network of shows. What kind of dinosaur was that? I'm sorry. I know I wrote this copy, but I need to know. A good one. Now continue reading your copy. Indiesaurus launches today with a slate of ongoing shows like ours, but also some exciting new premieres both this week and in the coming months. So be sure to follow them on Twitter at at IndiesaurusNet. And that is I-N-D-I-E-Saurus. Uh, you can also check them out online at Indiesaurus.com to see all the great shows like The Best Palcast. Ham Radio. Kid Nation Nation. I Survived the Rapture. Trek to the Holodeck. New Nintendo XL. Radish. And, and more. more. There's also an Indiesaurus Discord and an Indiesaurus Patreon, where for just $1 a month, you can have access to bonus content, an exclusive section of the Discord, and bragging rights. You can find out about uh, both the Discord and the Patreon on their website, or, you know, just hit one of us up and we'll shoot you the info. That's a dinosaur. It's like a pterodactyl, which is actually technically not a dinosaur. I can't get into this right now. Uh, it's also Hammond. a big week for us because this week is also the time for our monthly live show. So this Thursday, we will be joined by Will Farr of The Radish on the Indiesaurus Network uh, to talk about the Persona games. So we hope that you will join us this Thursday, April 22nd at 8 p.m. Pacific at twitch.tv slash packtheater. And in true Persona fashion, we're going to text you relentlessly about it and then make you do it for 90 hours. Sure. So that's uh, it for the announcements section of the program. Yay. Uh, we'll be back to our normal release schedule of Mondays next week with a great episode about No Doubt with the lovely Chelsea Pope. But right now, we hope you enjoy this new launch day episode, Talking Primus, <laughs> with, uh, with Eric Wargo. I'm glad we both made that joke. Right? <laughs> all so, that being said. All that being said, podcast Begun? starting? Damn, we're cute. Got it in one. That's why it took you so long to get set up. You hooked the bass in. Doing an aural bit. I mean, I guess it's better than a visual bit, considering. I could just talk over you playing shitty bass for quite a while, but that will definitely drive our listeners away. It also explains why when you asked if we were ready, you sounded so far from the mic. I was going to make a joke that I thought you were asking the cats, but I now totally see what happened. Hi, everybody. Welcome to I Think You'd Be Into It, uh, the podcast where I'm a million miles from the mic as I put my bass away. Hi, everybody. This is I Think You'd Be Into It, the podcast about your uh, problematic uh, power trios. I'm your host, Brandon Beck. Okay, so you were really far from the mic. I'm your other host, Beth Scorsato. And joining us today is uh, actor, comedian, writer, also uh, music guy, luminary of the Orange County music scene. Uh, you may know him from <laughs> Night Church or uh, other stuff around the Pack Theater, like uh, 
that time when you were uh, the bald guy from DC Comics or from Marvel Comics during that one show. I'm the bald guy from all the comics. Basically. That's true. Yeah. Eric Wargo. I'll get him. Eric Wargo, welcome to the show. Oh my gosh! Thanks for having me on. This is so fun. <laughs> what I'm, I'm try, now, I'm, now I'm trying to remember which character that was. There, there was a show a few years ago where literally the premise was the thing is a judge. Oh, there's so I was the watcher. You, oh right, you were Uatu the watcher. Ah, yes. <laughs> uh, he was very fun. Uh, I've also been. That is a canonical bald guy in comics. He, it is. Yeah, he's he sees all. But the the Watcher character I did feels very guilty because he's forbidden to interfere, and yet he sees everything. And so I was just listing off all the crazy events I've seen, and they just more and more became tragic. And the fact that it, he didn't do anything just really made him turn him to alcohol and, and crying. Uh, really fun character. I mean, better than what he actually turns to in the comics, which is being a self-righteous prick. That's pretty much, I mean, he's, it's really hard to defend him a lot of the time, which is like a fascinating character, but at the same time, he could have stopped so much, and, but didn't. And uh, Nick Fury had uh, every right to do what he did. That's all I'm going to say on that. Uh, oh, there you go. Is Brandon sleeping? Was I hear yes. snoring? Oh, mm -hmm. sorry. He just doesn't know what we're talking about, but I know what we're talking about. Oh, it's good. Fine. He, I'm into comics, but that's not why I'm here. Nerds. <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. Everybody at this point, if they've been listening to the show, knows I'm into comics. I, it's very fine. My, my favorite part of the uh, Thing is a Judge show was it's always a beautiful thing to watch your friends do a show and then have a bit just die on the vine that they are then committed to having to do oh you're talking about them eating ribs i'm talking about them eating ribs i, Every... I gotta say i was in the writer's room for that and <laughs> it was the funniest fucking idea oh i'm sure oh my god we were dying at the idea of eating ribs. oh i'm sure <laughs> and no one cared no one cared. Yeah, the, the idea, the, so the conceit of the show was that the thing was a judge oh. and jo, uh, J. Jonah Jameson uh, was his bailiff. And it was, Nick uh, oh my yeah, it was Nick Gligger as uh, uh, Jonah and Cash Abdomalik as uh, the thing. And just they decided every so often to take a rib break where they would just stop and eat some ribs. And it never worked once. <laughs> Nope. No, and it was just one. suddenly, oh God, we're stuck in this bit because it's messy and we kind of have to acknowledge that. Uh, oh God. Yeah. I mean, that's really a hallmark of any any pack bit. This is messier than we intended and it's not landing how we hoped and now we have to clean it up. That's true. That's true. Nothing makes Brandon more uncomfortable than a tarp sketch. Oh, I hate tarp sketches. They stress me out so bad. The tarp comes out and he gets so anxious. <sighs> oh, yeah. There was a tarp sketch I saw one. Oh my god, I forget which team it was, but they made a big deal about the tarp coming out and they made a big deal about like all these ingredients uh being around and it just like setting it up like, oh my god, it's gonna get messy. Uh, and it's basically they're just like, Oh, I, I came in with a bunch of ingredients for like a salad, basically, and you know. Uh, uh, you guys thinking what I'm thinking, and you think like they're gonna say like let's build a salad, but uh, 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 it was just turned out to be like uh, Jill Stein's a fucking piece of shit, you know, and then like <laughs> blackout. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's kind of funny. It is pretty good. Uh, my favorite one. I want to say it was a very 
famous sketch. I know uh, it, it featured future guest Chelsea Pope, um, where it was like this, it, a couple was on a date at like a fancy Italian restaurant with like, you know, big plates of spaghetti and everything like that. And uh, it was clearly like set up for, oh, this is going to be a big fucking mess. Um, the whole sketch goes goes along and like, nothing happens until literally the very last line she just whipped the tablecloth off and sent everything flying everywhere and then it blacked out and I was like alright I'll, I'll take that that's that's a pretty good subversion of it but there are lots of teams who have just been like well let's just shoot ketchup and mustard all over the place and uh, call it a sketch and uh, it it just stresses me out this is why you should take sketch at the pack and learn how to write better sketches. Exactly. Learn how to not rely on fucking gimmicky tarp sketches. Oh, this is a bad time to plug my uh, tarp sketch class that I'm Excellent. Keeping. No, this is the oh. perfect time to plug oh, Okay, good. Look, if you're... Look, the tarp sketch is an art, and there is a way to do it. Coming out and just spraying <laughs> things on people is not it. Oh, yeah. You, I mean, if if you commit and you're messy and then you clean up, that's, that's the thing. You like A lot of people save them for the end because... Well, fuck it. I'll just I'll, I'll spend my cleanup time eating into the next show's hour. And then you've got one person from your team trying to clean up like six gallons of mayonnaise while everyone yeah. else is backstage kind of laughing. And it's like, oh, poor, poor Andrew Fernandez. Yeah. And you got you have to have the, uh, the people on your team that absolutely hate tarp sketches to kind of like rein you back. in. Like, yeah. Like, yeah, is this yeah. necessary? No, like I, I've had, I had a, like a Dr. Octopus sketch totally go, go, go wrong where, uh, is this pin basically just like Dr. Octopus pissing his pants. <laughs> okay. Uh, very highbrow. Uh, <laughs> and it did not go according to plan. And so like, I was basically, it was like me in a black, uh, morph suit, like <laughs> as though like, you're not supposed to see me like, like, you know, like in like getting the hose ready, like puppeteering his arms and shit and it was just <sighs> more work than <laughs> i really it, it, it killed the sketch sometimes sometimes the sketch ends up being more work than the payoff yeah oh yeah, yeah. um you though you also are responsible for the only sketch i've ever seen get a standing ovation during a tech rehearsal okay which was at PacCon or PacChilla a couple years. I'm sorry, PacChilla a couple years ago. Uh, during the music of Sketch Night, you presented a sketch called Ska Dad, <laughs> which is one of the stupidest things I've ever seen. But also, <laughs> like every like fucking standing ovation from the like. 15 people that were in the house. Um, I feel like if I die, that is what I will be known for. <laughs> Ska Dad? Ska Dad. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, God. He, he, he created Ska Dad. <laughs> One sketch. Yep. Creator of Ska Dad. Dead at 5069. Uh, like, honestly, that's that's like a sketch that everyone tells me to write a sequel to it, but I don't even know what I would do that just wouldn't be like just. I don't know. Less like you know the 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 return on the payoff is just you know not. It was just less and less every time. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, you can do Scott Dad for a million years. Oh, I will <laughs> do that sketch. Yes. Uh, oh yeah. 
as far as a sequel, I think that's nah, not going to happen. Won't no, 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 no. It's a perfect poem that uh, doesn't need to be changed. And speaking of perfect poems, let's uh-huh. uh, talk about some things we're into this week, shall we? Um, if anybody has one, rock and roll. If not, I can go. Okay, then just go, babe. Uh, so the thing I am into this week is Jerry Reed's orange and blue leather jacket from the 70s. That's right, Jerry Reed's orange and blue leather jacket from the 70s. Um, Jerry Reed, if you don't know, uh, because it, it, you probably don't, um, was a like outlaw country guy from the 60s, 70s, 80s. Uh, he did a lot of stuff with Glenn Campbell uh, and was just kind of, He was... Uh, the co-lead of Smokey and the Bandit. Uh, he was the the snowman, uh, and he wrote the uh, fucking immortal Eastbound and Down. Eastbound and down, loaded up and trucking. Are we gonna do what they say can't be done? We've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. But back during the 70s, when he would go on TV, he had this blue and orange leather jacket that is the dopest jacket I've ever seen. And he paired it with, like, an absurd, like, floppy cowboy hat um, and some fucking bell-bottoms. And I was was talking with a friend about this yesterday, that Jerry Reed's fits in the 70s were fucking legendary. Um, and that doesn't get uh, discussed enough. But um, Jerry Reed in general, um, like I said, he's one of my favorite songwriters. He, uh, a lot of his songs are like, you could kind of just take like a dad joke and sort of turn it into a song. Like he's got one called like, uh, She Got the Gold Mine, I Got the Shaft. She got the gold mine, I got the shaft. They split it right down the middle, and then they give her the better half. Well, it all sounds sort of funny, but it hurts too much to laugh. She got the gold mine, I got the shaft. Just like stuff like that. He's got this one, this one track called The Bird, which is this like story song that is literally just an excuse for him to do impressions of Willie Nelson and Hank Williams and a couple other guys uh, in the context of singing a song. Um, he was a really great guitar player. Actually, uh, he's a big influence on Les Claypool. Um, he's Primus has covered Amos Moses, which is uh, oh, yeah. one of one of his songs uh, about a dude who punches alligators uh, and lost a fist doing it, but still does it anyway. He's just really good at, like, these weird, kind of funky, uh, like, Bayou songs uh, that I, ju- I just find really endlessly uh, charming and, and entertaining. And uh, basically every song I've written over the past two years could be described as In the Neighborhood of Jerry Reed. Um, but specifically his, uh, orange and blue leather jacket. If somebody could find me this leather jacket, I would 
reward them handsomely. I would also oh take boy. the. Uh, I would I, reward you handsomely to not find that jacket. I would also. I would also take his. Uh, his blue coat from uh, the episode of Solid Gold, where he's saying he's bounding down with Marilyn McCoo and uh, a bunch of backup dancers who are just going to fucking town. Like it's it's like a seventies variety show, and the two of them are singing up front. But then during the instrumental bit of, of Eastbound and Down, uh, there's like half a dozen backup dancers in like sparkly spandex who are just like putting in the fucking work. Like those guys are flying around and doing kicks and it, it's it's and Jerry seems to be so amused by the whole thing. Um, it's it's delightful. So if somebody can find me that outfit or his blue and orange uh Leather jacket, I will. Uh, you will be named an uh, Intuit Pod legend. I I've been trying to look this up uh, online as you've been oh talking. About. I can't find a single photo of this. Don't oh. worry, he'll tell you exactly what video it's in. It yeah, it took me a minute to find uh, a photo of it. But if you Google Glenn Campbell and Jerry Reed, he's wearing it in all all but one of the f- uh, first row of uh, Google image search. Um, it's, it's, well, it's from, they, oh they did a really goodness. good performance on the Glenn Campbell music show. It looks like it's actually brown leather and it looks like it's leather and denim. It might be, which is like. Might be leather arms and collar denim jacket. It wow. might be, which is a terrible combination in theory, but, uh, our, our, our man, uh, our, our one snowman is making it fucking work. Also points for like Glenn Campbell's weird, uh. Maybe just one button on his shirt. Uh, his, like, 80s wow. Coke dealer look. Yeah. Oh, here's a good zoom in of it. Oh, it's got, like, a pattern on it, too. Oh, his his coat? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this, uh, I am fucking obsessed with this. Oh, and the inner lapel this. is, like, striped. Yeah. There's a lot happening on this coat. There's so much happening on this coat. Between that and his dumb hat and his Telecaster, like, that's just you what already I already got the telly. I already got the telly. I just need to uh, find my Glenn Campbell. God. <laughs> um, which I guess would be Madeline Fazio. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, Jerry Reed's leather jacket, leather denim uh, combo jacket. We've talked about this for a It may a- not be denim, but I'm, I'm just like really focused. I'm just like. Finding different photos of this now. There's like stuff going on on the arms. There's like patterning going on on the lapel on the inside. There's just like so much happening with this. Jacket. I bet this is hanging out somewhere at a Hard Rock, uh, <laughs> you know, either the casino or a Hard Rock like restaurant or something like that. This they still have those restaurants. Oh yeah, it's one million percent in a casino somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably in the casino. Yeah, just on display. <laughs> At the uh, Amos Moses Hotel and Casino in uh, yeah. about 45 minutes southeast of Thibodeau, Louisiana. Um, oh, boy. Uh, lived a man named Doc Millsap and his pretty wife, Hannah. We're almost uh, there. Uh, so, yeah, that's uh, that's my thing. Jerry Reed's amazing jacket that we talked about for half an hour. Probably longer than he ever talked about this jacket, frankly. Um, so, yeah, who else wants to go? Uh, don't worry, I will. I'm into that time that Sean Vanity, Sean Hannity, got caught vaping on camera. Oh my! Oh, it so ruled. Good. It ruled. It's oh. really funny. It's so funny. God, you know he's gonna be doing like adverts now for like vape companies and stuff. Oh yeah, it's it's gonna be hilarious when vaping becomes accepted by the the Fox News set. Right. 
I mean, I'm only hoping that he gets fined by the FCC for some obscure reason. Oh, that about would... smoking live oh on air. Yeah, if only. Yeah, that was <laughs> it was a... just, look, I don't approve of anything Sean Hannity has ever done in his life, but it was very funny when he got caught vaping. Yeah, vape stock just, like, socially just dropped. Just because of the way he's doing it, like, so casually, just, like, out the side of his mouth, and then he suddenly just realized it's... If you haven't seen this clip yet, just look it up. It's like five seconds. You don't actually have to hear Sean Hannity say anything disgusting. Um, but it's very funny. It's just him like looking down at his note cards with like the the vape pin just kind of dangling out the side of his mouth. And you hear someone go, Sean, Sean. And then he looks <laughs> and, up and he's like, oh, fuck, we're on. And he literally just yeets it out so of frame. Funny. It's he's got so it in his mouth the way like. Like Nazis in movies have those cigarillo holders, like oh, that, yeah. that go like three inches out from their mouth. Like I'm just yeah. like really, I guess really what I'm into is that like shit hold, uh, shitheads being called on TV. Like I also got a lot of satisfaction out of Piers Morgan walking off of Good Morning Britain. Um, yeah, what happened there? I, I sort of um, he's a shithead. I'm not getting into it. Fair. You can go look that one up if you want. All you need to know is that Piers Morgan is a racist shithead, and one of his commentators called him, one of his, like, co-commentators finally fucking called him out on it live on air, and he walked off set. That was one of those things. I heard about it. I was like, yes, I didn't need to watch it. Yeah, that's basically all it is, is that he is a racist shithead, and one of and one of his um black co-anchors, like, finally was just like, dude, like, the way you talk about Meghan Markle is unacceptable. Like, I can't sit here and and say shit like like let you say shit like this one of the women he works with called him out recently too about her skirt because he he like made a big deal about like oh i didn't realize it was spring already she came in here wearing this mini skirt and she was like i'm wearing a very normal dress she was like i'm wearing a very normal dress Piers. like this is not okay like he like made her stand up and show it to people and like on like yeah anyway Piers morgan is also a shithead i'm really into shitheads getting called out on tv i was really into john oliver doing a whole piece calling out tucker carlson for being a shithead let's just call all the shitheads out yeah on tv publicly whoopi goldberg did it with uh megan mccain on the view recently where like she she was just going off on some bullshit and then just cuts to whoopi like uh what (laughs) just doing like the ultimate whoopi goldberg face she was talking about Meghan Markle and like about she was basically just talking about you know racist like talking about race issues that she should be keeping out of her mouth as a white woman like she has no idea what the fuck she's talking about but as a McCain she legally can't do that but as and then she just cut to Whoopi Whoopi just being like uh okay anyway yeah uh racist shitheads getting called out on tv that's what I'm into this week Woo. I mean all the time but this week in particular Actually, every time I get into a new uh, old weird country guy, I have to look up on their Wikipedia if they were a racist How shithead. Racist they were. Oh god! Yeah, thankfully it's it, it mostly hasn't. Uh, it's normally just been the normal amount of racist. Yeah, like Glenn Campbell's 70s. Wikipedia was like under politics. It basically said he voted both ways. Don't worry about it. Gosh. Uh, I have no idea what Jerry Reed's politics were. I can't imagine they were ideal, but also. He wasn't outwardly shittily racist, so like I'll take it. Night Church puts up a bunch of like of our interstitials like on on a YouTube channel, so it's like a music video. And early on, we used a lot of like black metal and speed metal, and then lately we're like, 
yeah we're gonna need to like figure out because we don't know all the bands because it's been like past members and stuff but it's like sure we gotta look up these bands and make sure they're not like yeah (laughs) some crazy european racist shit we had a similar issue back on gunslinger uh I joined that team like a year in, so all of our interstitials and stuff were already made, and we were really leaning into the, like, it would be shots of, like, somebody double-fisting AK-47s and spinning in a cloud of doves from, like, a John Woo movie or something like that, or, like, a couple, like a scene from Mr. and Mrs. Smith where there's a big, like, shootout. Just a lot of, like, crazy over-the-top gunplay. And then for literally three shows in a row day of or day before there was the largest mass shooting oh my God. yet. Yeah. Um, oh, and we God. sort of realized maybe we should, cause like suddenly the energy was just like, <laughs> yeah, no, you feel it when it's like, yeah, this is not people. This is going to make people laugh. Yeah. So then we, then we pivoted to more like wild West gunslinger, which I think was a better call to begin with. My church had a, helicopter crash joke the same day that kobe uh had oh hit. no oh no oh, yeah it was like oh my god <laughs> oh uh, yeah. no brandon just did a 9-11 joke in a margaritaville but it was like 11 years <laughs> later that's true yeah it's okay to joke about it now <laughs> i i would argue i would argue that it was my most successful gunslinger sketch um, the idea was that it was the yeah, actually uh, it was way more than eleven years later because this year is the so this year is twenty years since nine eleven so I'm sure that'll be really fun in September, but it also is the um for those of you who don't go on the internet and God bless you um it's the like twenty years is the like generally acknowledged like it's okay to make jokes about it um period on Reddit so let me tell you man. This September is going to be rough on Reddit. <laughs> so, so Gosh. plus, so plus time is twenty years. Got it? Yeah. Well, I mean, we've been yeah. having like a nine eleven like every day for a I while. Know. Ooh, yeah, yeah. So get ready for those racist jokes to roll off the internet because oh, the gosh. thing is, a lot of the memes that we see around um, often originate on Reddit. They come there from. Sometimes the worst ones come there from like 4chan and 8chan and then they go to Reddit and then they go to Instagram. People steal them and put them on Instagram and then they go to Facebook. And uh, so, yeah, get get ready Ugh. for Ugh. get ready for September. Internet's <laughs> Reddit. Reddit is fucking getting ready, my dudes. The uh, the Margaritaville sketch did introduce the greatest character I've ever uh, invented, the Nacho Shark. Uh, <laughs> the The conceit was that it was the like in-house news station for margaritaville restaurants that usually just like you know promotes jimmy buffett's new album and plays like eagles videos um having to report 9-11 live as it happened i recall this one uh while other jimmy buffetty shit happened around them including the nacho shark who is uh bart biddlingmeyer came out in a shark costume uh and basically just dry humped a bag of tostitos once as hard as he could sent them flying into the audience and somebody i it was either beth or Alyssa, i don't remember got an animated gif of it and or a boomerang of it and i it did is, i got a boomerang of him of him fucking the nachos yeah in the left shark costume so fucking funny the left shark costume but anyway speaking of nacho sharks wargo what are you into this week ah uh, well i'm just kind of actually wrapping it up but I went hard into uh, the new God of War, the last one at least. Boy. 
a boy. Oh yeah, you played that one, Brandon. Yeah, that, that's the only one I've ever played. It's great. I've also been binging uh, King of the Hill at the same Ooh. time, and so now I, in my head I have like boy, you know, the yeah the boy is Bobby Hill in my head, like, <laughs> constantly like like you know spouting off and having to get straightened out by his father. And, like, uh, I feel like the pocket sand is a little op. Uh, ooh, pocket. Well, there's honestly. I'm enjoying King of the Hill, but there's also some stuff that, I mean, look, Toby Huss is one of my absolute favoritest, like, character actors since I was a child. Oh, he's brilliant. Pete and Pete. Uh, he does a lot of voices on King of the Hill. He was, uh, he's, uh, he, he did, like, he played, a, oh, my God, what am I, can't remember his name. Uh, uh, he's Cotton. He's Cotton. Yeah, but he's, he also, he's also Con is yeah. the thing. And it's. Very hard to watch. <laughs> like, yeah. That stuff is like, I, and I love King of the Hill. I love Toby Huss. That is, is like, it's driving me crazy, uh, especially lately. Uh, yeah. But, but it's, it, so I'm, I'm reconciling that. But I, I did hear that they're bringing back King of the Hill like a 15 years later, or they're at least in talks for it. So, like, that I'm actually. Uh, oh, yeah. I would watch super that. Super interested to see. Look, I know people would watch that, but can we stop doing this? Can we just create? Th- we're, we're, I'm just so tired of us only just recreating old things now. Old things. They're, yeah. They they do want to go 15 years forward, but I do see what you're saying. I I guess I'm just interested to see what they're gonna do with it. Oh, they're are they? Is it gonna be that like Bobby's gonna be 30? Bobby's grown ass man? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, probably still living at home. <laughs> hmm. Uh, but either yeah. fully out or even more deeply, deeply closeted. I mean, uh, I guess you don't need Bobby Hill as a child on TV anymore if you have Gene Belcher. I suppose that's true. He is the new, yeah, he's the new Bobby. <laughs> I suppose that's of. true. The episode they did this weekend is about uh, Gene learning how to be alone with himself. Not, <laughs> not in that way, but just like be. He gets accidentally left behind. It's like a very small home alone for an afternoon. Mom thinks he's with dad and dad thinks he's with mom. And he gets locked in the basement and he just like he spends the day on the phone with his imaginary friend. And then his imaginary friend hangs up on him and he has to like learn how to be alone with his thoughts. And it's very sweet. Oh, Gene. I think we all know a Gene in our lives. Those two shows do have a lot of kind of similar DNA in that they're like this. The Simpsons has always been around um, and and. By that same token, Family Guy has been around almost as long, um, which are two very, like, keyed-up, aggressive sort of shows, especially Simpsons now. Um, and King of the Hill always was sort of the nice, like, counterbalance to to that. The same way Bob's Burgers, and to a, a lesser extent, American Dad, uh, were of just, like, this show's a little more quiet, it's a little more... Uh, deep in terms of of characters it's not super flashy but like they did so much king of the hill like that thing ran for like what 12 13 years yeah i think they did 12 seasons they might they might have yeah how many seasons uh, <laughs> do you have any like uh, a particular favorite episode 13 uh- 13, 13 seasons of King of the Hill. It's, we ask these questions all the time on the podcast, and then we're all just like, well, no one will ever know. Like, we don't have the internet in front of us. And so I try to Google things when they come up. Uh, 
recently I kind of liked, uh, uh, it was just, a, well, there's a running gag I actually like, I'm just that I was reminded of, of Peggy just having like huge feet and just like every <laughs> now and then someone comments on it and then they, they move on. But it's, it's like, it's a, it's a joke that keeps coming back that I kind of dig. Hank, welcome to Peggy'sFeet.com. Wait a minute. Is that a pornographic website? It's not a pornographic website. It's a fetish website. But uh, yeah, well, the recent episode I really liked was uh, Hank, the, you know, on the topic of, you know, body part sizes. Uh, he's got that uh, diminishing butt. <laughs> like, so you, you get like a shot of his butt and it's like he's got these two little cheeks. <laughs> They're just like barely <laughs> rub it up against each other. And, Does that have anything uh, to do with his narrow urethra? Uh, that comes up a bunch too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, I think they just pile that onto him, but his, his tiny butt is just, I don't know. That's just really funny. I, th I think maybe the hardest I've, I, I ever laughed at a gagging King of the Hill, which is, which is one of the shows where like a lot of the jokes, at least from, from Hank aren't necessarily jokes, but the way Hank Hill says them is fucking hilarious. Yeah. Like there's, uh, there's an episode where, uh, Hank and his friends are all going to go on a trip to Houston or somewhere. Uh, I, they, they go on a trip, maybe Austin, and Bill winds up falling in love with the governor. Uh, Ann Richardson, I think was her name at the mm -hmm. time. But uh, at the beginning of the episode, they roll up to Strickland Propane, uh, and it's like eight minutes till closing time. And, and they're like, come on, Hank, let's go. And he's like, nope. I'm paid to be here until five o'clock and I'm going to be here till five o'clock. And then he goes, sits down at his desk and then it just pans up to the clock. It dissolves five minutes forward, pans back down and then Hank gets up and leaves. <laughs> and it's the mo like, it's, it's not like, yes, it's a joke, but the, the gag is he's doing his job responsibly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, he's such a, a square uh like the way he talks about stuff like uh one of the lines i keep uh like girl like i keep saying to my girlfriend is uh is riffing on like i, guess, I don't know you you, you know there's that <laughs> that definitely comes up uh but uh it was perhaps the funniest joke i've ever heard you know <laughs> just sure you know that's like his it's it's the funniest thing he's ever heard but it, it couldn't be more calm about saying it oh yeah it's oh he i I love Hank Hill. Hank Hill is one of the great uh, TV, not, not even straight men, because he is a, a comedic character at, at at heart. But like the yeah, the the gag of it is how boring he is. I used I also used to do pest control, so when it comes to Dale, I, I keep a close eye. Oh uh, sure, and you do always wear those sunglasses. The sunglasses. I'm bald and maybe a little insecure, but I you know I roll with it. I really like Primus. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I have a beautiful relationship with my son. Uh, God, yeah. that's such a good gag that he is just so in the dark about the fact that Both that is them. not yeah. his child. Oh, well, he, oh yeah, I, I thought you meant uh, his ex-wife, who clearly knows. But. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, she totally, I mean, yeah, she talk, she's talked about it with Hank openly, but, like, uh, just even the fact his son is even picking up, like, Dale's traits, like, just as a person. Oh, it's so, it's, it's so even, good. Even funnier to me, you know? Like, oh, yeah. um, hey, look at me. I'm John Redcorn. Like, to his dad, like, <clears throat> just like that. Just the both of them being oblivious and just like chuckling about it is, oh, yeah. It's just beautiful. It's, it's so good. Um, but speaking of 
oblivious chuckling. Uh-huh. Uh, let's get into Primus, shall we? Yeah, I wish I knew you're gonna open up the show with like some bass. I could have like I could have I could have done something as well, man. Like Yeah. Could have gotten a bunch oh boy, this is just gonna devolve into this oh, yeah. file, huh? It's a riff off, bro. This is how we lose all our listeners with this. This this uh this is just fucking great radio, guys. Hey hey look at hey look at me. I'm Mark Marin. <laughs> Boomer lives, man. But anyway, Primus. Primus, my boy. Yeah. Now that we've completed that aural poison, anyone who's still here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have fun here. It doesn't matter if it's fun for the audience. It's fun for us, um, which is the whole point of podcasting. <laughs> so uh, tell us, uh, Mr. Wargo, how did you discover uh, Les Claypool and, and his wide, wide world of uh, uh, characters and uh, slapping? Initially, um, I mean... <sighs> I guess, you know, just on the topic of King of the Hill, I'd probably say it was like Beavis and Butthead episodes are probably what gave me like the most exposure, I would say. I'm a 90s kid. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I kind of grew up watching Beavis and Butthead. And uh, yeah, the, like uh, there's definitely like a Primus video in that run. And then they did a, a side project called Sausage that I, I guess at the time thought was Primus. Uh, I definitely knew it was the same dude. It essentially was Primus. Yeah, and so that was initially how I found out about them. But then my brother, I'm I'm the oldest, but like the, my my uh, second youngest brother, uh, he was the one who actually went out and got a copy of like pork soda and then played it in front of me, and I I had to know more <laughs> about that. Uh, I've I've I wasn't really into music much, uh, like. Like up until high school, I, I would say. Like I don't know. I like I would say a lot of stuff maybe kind of bored me. Um, I don't like weird stuff for weird sake, but it, like even like Primus to me like was like playing unexpected stuff, like wrong notes, but it all worked, and that's just really what 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 pulled me in. Um, and also I I had before I had listened to like a lot of. Evo, Oingo Boingo, like early on, like my dad just had that around. And that's the kind of stuff that interested me. So like this stuff just, woof, just mainline and weird. Oh yeah. And and because like uh Devo and Oingo Boingo are, are are groups that have like some humor built in, but that's not like the primary thing. And and Primus is very much in that vein of like Oh yeah. Uh yeah. like Pri Primus is like sounds like listening to a Ralph Bakshi cartoon. Like, it's 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 big. It's it's over the top. It's it's cartoony, but there's also like a grit to it, you know. Yeah, and yeah, and they're definitely they're not they're not weird for weird sake. They're it's like a yeah. It's it's he's got a story to tell, and then they frame the the just the the everything down to the rhythm to the melody. Everything just like sort of fits it, just like like shrink wrap. Uh, just on it and uh you know like my name is mud this weird uh uh, uh song about a, a a guy who just kills his boss with aluminum baseball bat you know 
having to deal with, you know, carrying them and all that. And it's just this weird, dark. There, yeah, there you go. Okay. Oh, great. We're back to this just without the instruments. Yeah. <laughs> now. Uh, Have you ever heard they were re- like 13 years ago, they released a version of that song in Spanish called Me Llamo Mud? Yes. Yeah. It's so weird. It's so weird. I'm like, I mean, I want to know, like, I know it's totally just rude to ask people who speak Spanish, like, is this, is this accurate? But I'm always, like, curious, like, how is his Spanish? Because it sounds, he's really, like, squeezing it all in there, you know? Yeah. None of it rhymes, really, which is, yeah. makes it an odd choice, but. It's not weird that they're doing the song in Spanish. It's weird that Les Claypool is singing in Spanish, if that makes sense. I mean, I'm sure when he goes, like, you know, to Mexico and Central America to tour, I'm sure the fans appreciate it. Me um, llamo mud. <laughs> Cause, well, because, I mean, I, if if the audience hasn't really heard Primus before, Les Claypool isn't what you would call a traditionally gifted singer. No, no. In fact, that's, that's really the... the yeah, if you can't get past that, then I can't. I can't recommend anything for you. You know, that's that's the you gotta buy that ticket to ride everything else. You know, uh, yeah. the his I, I I like that they 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 tend to flip things so that the basses lead, and then you know people will give Lair the guitarist a lot of shit for his style, but it's really freeing because he's not. He's no longer uh, 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 stuck having because he comes from thrash metal. So does Les. Actually, they they come from the San Francisco uh, thrash metal scene. Uh, they used they used to play in a band together called Blind Illusion, and then Les would just Les and Larry be hanging out, and Les would be like, "Hey, come come hang with me and these other hippie weirdos," and they go play just bizarre, you know, music in this completely different scene. Uh, and that's what eventually evolved into Primus. And then Lair is going from playing these thrash metal riffs, and now he can kind of go off and do whatever, uh, you know. And then he'll come back and hold it down with some weird riff, uh, you know, just, just sort of maybe two or three chords. And then Les can go off and do his own thing. And and then uh, their drummer, uh, their main drummer, the one that they're the, the primary Primus trio, uh, uh, their drummer. Uh, 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 Herb, Tim Tim Alexander, uh, former formerly of the Blue Man Group. What? Uh, yeah, yeah. Chew on that, buddy. Uh, he honestly, uh, with Neil Peart now gone, I mean, I consider this guy probably he's got to be like top three drummers uh, in the world. That's fair. Yeah, I mean him, Danny Carey, and then the third I'll leave up to. <laughs> Well, that'd be Mr. John Fishman of the rock and roll band Fish. Oh, of course. There you go. Yes. yes. He is a very good drummer. He is. Yeah. No, to- definitely. Very yeah. much in that same way that like Max Weinberg is and that he just doesn't stop for three hours. And he's an incredibly solid drummer, but he's also a very lyrical drummer. We're not going to get into Fish on this show. I mean, that seems oh, there's, impossible. Oh, there's going to there, no, there's going to be there's going to be some crossover later okay. when we get because uh, when all else has been done and said, along comes Mr. Oysterhead. Oh, boy. Oysterhead. Now that, yeah. So the Oysterhead album is uh, 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 Primus, Fish, and the Police. Yeah. So here's the thing, though, about, and this is my thing with Les Claypool in general, and it comes right. from from Oysterhead, is that somehow he, Les Claypool is like he he's for sure like a top five bassist for me. Um, 
when I was like first learning how to play bass in high school, and I, I didn't was, like, know you actually liked Les Claypool. I. I I don't like he's not necessarily my thing, but he's super talented and he has such a specific sound that every song just becomes a Primus song because his sound is so specific. I can respect him as a phenomenal like top tier bass player without needing to necessarily be into all his stuff. That's fair. <laughs> That's totally fair. Have you have you heard the Claypool Lennon uh, delirium? No, I haven't. It, it basically sounds like because it, it's it's less Claypool and Sean Lennon basically uh leading the group it literally to me it sounds like les claypool bursting into a beatles recording session like the kool-aid man <laughs> like yeah because it's it, it, you you are right i mean it like i could wake up from a coma and you play me a song and it's like that's les claypool like i would just know uh yeah because- exactly that's what i'm saying every song les claypool p- plays on immediately becomes a primus song just because he has such a distinctive sound oh yeah and when when Oysterhead did their brief little like run of shows uh, last year, uh, because Oysterhead only ever comes down from the mountain every so often. Uh, before that, they hadn't played a gig since two thousand seven, and before that, since two thousand one. Um, but they start they started doing some covers uh, at the end of their shows. Like they they covered White Room, uh, or they they covered a couple or. Uh, they did a couple fish songs. Uh, they, specifically, this one called "46 Days," which I've definitely played a clip of this on the show before. But like, it just yeah, it just immediately becomes a, a a Primus song. A because of the bass, but then also because like Les Claypool can't sing anything without it sounding like Lee Fordham sold me out a 46 days in the cold rain out. <laughs> which doesn't not work for that song. Oh, which doesn't not work for that song, but it's just very much like. Oh, this is just gonna thump harder and sound weirder than it ever has uh, with Mike Gordon on the bass, and that kind of rules. I like how he has like a second microphone setup because he knows he's nasally, and if he wants to be extra nasally, he goes to that old timey Sure Chrome like microphone. He's got like a, it's on like a, a, it's, on, a, a it's on like an elastic. Is that what it is? Or it's on like it's on like a cord, so he can kind of pull it out if he needs to. Yeah, it just sort of it sort of like it extends out to the side and then upward, and then he can just sort of like move his head over and just hey, we're speculating <laughs> like like uh, the the I think the main example where he uses it is uh, there's a Primus song called Tommy the Cat, which uh, uh, yeah. the, on the studio version uh, there's like the verse is this like spoken story that's uh, told by Tom Waits. Uh, which, you know, because he's Tom Waits, it, it already has a built-in scratchiness to it. But because Tom Waits can't be in Primus all the time, uh, Les does that when they do it live. And that's when he goes into the, like, scratchy microphone to make it sound, like, extra, extra weird. Extra Tom Waits. Extra Tom Waits, yeah. There are Primus albums that, and Claypool albums even, I could recommend if someone wanted to dip their toe into it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely know there are albums... Or even I'm like, 
Ugh, this is I, I'm not really into this, but yeah. I've seen the album performed live and it's way better. And it's it's like, oh, this is how this is meant to be experienced. Right. So I, I think sometimes he and this is just, you know, me speculating, but like I, I there are albums to me that are much stronger as an album and then others that are stronger as a live performance. Cause Primus is known to and Claypool even are known to like do a full album performance yeah as a set and uh the like what is it the uh the most recent primus album uh the desaturating seven is based on a children's book oh yeah they're definitely like a big uh concept band yeah especially lately i think like ever since willy wonka they've just been like going more and more conceptual that is that's like probably my least favorite album brandon saw that one live i think that's the ultimate like Huh, that's weird. All right, I'll listen to it once and then that's it. <laughs> but if any, oh, you saw it live though, didn't you? I did, and it and it was great. And then I never needed to see or hear it again. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, they're definitely a band that can do justice to those weird songs. Oh yeah, it's not a bad album, but like nobody needed it. They had like a full production for it. Uh, like the second set, they all came out like he was dressed like Willy Wonka. The uh uh. The drummer was in the Mike TV outfit. They had some Oompa Loompas with these, like, giant foam heads. Uh, it was pretty wild. Yeah. No, they, they definitely... I think they, they, they had the live production in mind when they made that album. And then they just sort of had to make an album to justify the tour. Yeah. Because I think it started as a live thing they did for New Year's one year. Yeah, I think it's maybe how it how it got kicked off. I've definitely heard him play some Wonka tunes prior to the album, so I know that they were like probably like kicking around, you know, in their in their repertoire. Oh yeah, and like I would, I like I if if Primus the next time they tour, uh, we're gonna drop like pure imagination halfway through their set. Great rock and roll. I just don't need the rest of it. Yeah, though God, that would be wild. There, the next tour they're doing is uh. Covering the entirety of A Farewell to Kings by Rush. I, okay, before the pandemic, I kind of just went on like a manic ticket-buying ticket spree. And uh, for their, I think it was like going to be their last show of that tour. Was It was going to be in Arizona, like where my dad lives. And so I was like, okay, I'm buying a ticket for me, for my dad, who, and then my brothers. None of them are that into Primus. I'm the Primus <laughs> guy, but... But I was just like, fuck it. Let's just go to a concert. Like, you know, it's an excuse for me to come out, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, drag my brothers out and just like, like for the for the Wargo men to hang out and just, you know, like socialize uh, uh, for a bit. And then this thing hit. And then it's just like, I'm not, you know, bef- the, the, the pandemic hit. And there was just like, no way I'm dragging my dad to a concert, you know. No. <laughs> no hell no. I'm not, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna kill my dad so I can see Cygnus X1 live by a different band. I want to bond with and kill my father. That's mm-hmm. I mean, you could if I took my mom to an Oysterhead show, she would die. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were joking about the Primus rushed concert that got canceled because of the pandemic, and I was like, yeah, no, you shouldn't go see Primus and die. <laughs> yeah no please don't make this my last concert um yeah it was supposed to be at the hollywood bowl last july uh the, the, the greek oh i thought oh 
Janelle Monet was at the Hollywood Bowl, and I was going to see that, and you were going to see Primus play Rush like a loser. The same, yeah, literally the same night, which is like maybe the harshest gender divide in an audience I've ever seen. <laughs> I mean, it didn't happen, but it would have no, been nice. <laughs> it, but it would have been. I think, yeah, the Greek is where I last saw Primus. They, they toured with, uh, 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 oh my God. Oh, Mastodon. Mastodon. Oh my God. Mastodon. That was a show. I can imagine. I, I've never seen them, but I've always I've always wanted to. They're great. I I I I'm trying to, you know, get into. I'm playing a lot more of them and Baroness lately. So that just sort of heavy rock. I wouldn't call it like hard rock. I wouldn't call it metal quite. It's like in this sort of soft area in between. Sure. Uh, but yeah, they're great bands. But uh, as far as like Primus, yeah, I would say like to recommend stuff. If like if you just want the most like. Uh, 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 if you just want a, a quick assessment if they're your type of band or not, I would recommend their first release after a very long hiatus. And it's a, a, a really, it's a mouthful of a title, but it's Animals Should Try and Not Act Like People. Oh, yeah, that little, like, EP? Yeah, and it's the first, it's it's a, it's their first, because they had, they, uh, 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 Tim Alexander left the band for a couple albums. Uh, they had Brian Mantia fill in. He's amazing, too. That was, like, anti-pop, and, and the Brown album, two very different albums. Brown album was my first one. And Brown album's very good, very underrated. I think that was the album that I probably bucked a lot of their fan base because they were they want the funky metal, and then here comes this sort of it's a concept album. So that, of course it's the one Brandon started with. Yes, yes, it's it's a good album. Wait, Br- Brown album's a concept album? I I would say so in that it's uh it's very vintage sounding. You it know? definitely is, yeah. Yeah, that, in that kind of concept. I'm sorry, like not there's no grand story or nothing. It does all sound like a like a a, a song that like a grimy dude is singing to you next to singing to you next to a waterfall, that's like full of like copperized water. It's like they only had like three microphones available to record the drums, you know. So there's that that kind of echoed effect. Uh, Some people hate the drum sound on that record, but I think it's pretty cool. I think it's cool. It's you know. People should not even think about comparing it to like Saint Anger's, <laughs> the Metallica oh, album. God. Drum. Those are frantic, tick, 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 <laughs> Yeah, no, thank you. Uh, but no, it's definitely got a, a a vintage, I would say like turn of the century kind of sound. That's true. You know, because especially that's when everything was going digital, uh, and so this was a very anti-going digital kind of sound. But also, uh, yeah, their next album, Antipop. That was, uh, that was that had Brian Mantia on it as well. That was, I would say, like a duets kind of album because they had. I mean, if you look at at the uh, uh, credits for those uh, uh, songs you know, on the on the what do you call it the inlay the the that comes with the album what is uh, it? liner notes the liner notes yes. I mean, every song has like a different producer. Like they brought in like. Uh, uh, James Hetfield to help produce a, a, a track, uh, I think, a uh, Liquid Sky, uh, and then you know that Fred Durst is is help producing one. Matt and Trey from South Park are producing one. Uh, Stuart Copeland. Stuart which, Copeland. Yeah, that may, that that might have been the beginning of that sort of partnership. I think that's where that came in. Yeah, and and then uh, they they finish Antipop with a not very subtle at all uh, song with Tom Waits. Just really digging in on uh, uh, Courtney Love. Oh, fun! 
I would have to say, uh, just call it a coattails of a dead man. They just really don't like. Ooh, I didn't know that's what that was about. God damn. I mean, I it's really. I mean, I can't think of who else that song could be about. Um, like it's like that. Like right down to like, hey, this guy sh- killed himself with a shotgun, and then his wife is like in the camera, you know, crying for everybody. It's like, wow, they're like really laying it down. Tom Waits is there with them. Sorry for any whole fans, but that was just. Like not very veiled at all. <laughs> like, Oof. And that would that was it for Primus for a few years at that point. For a while, I think that's when Les started doing like the Frog Brigade. With, yeah. If you're okay, if you're into jam music, like I'm I'm a punk rocker, so right. So sure. I came in I came into this as a punk, and then you know, Primus is sort of be like my guilty pleasure to the side. But then the Frog Brigade, his side project, they did that uh cover of Thela Hun Ginji by oh, King Crimson. Holy shit, that song slaps. boogie down like just listen to that just like by myself in my room for 15 minutes it's a 15 minute song and it just it doesn't get tired i i don't know i i had never experienced anything like that before so that 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 itself was uh, a big turning point for me welcome to the wide world of jam bands my friend i mean i i could be tempted if i, I you know fish has been okay for me you know but say but... I'm, I'm taking you to fish the next time they come to town okay yeah we'll do this we'll do this all right yeah it would be like uh, uh are you talking fish to me you know or whatever podcast <laughs> try to win me over he's already made a playlist he can send you oh, that's true that's true yeah, he yeah. Just has it like holstered ready to go mm-hmm. well he recently so so quick he recently we talked about this on the fish episode he talked about wanting to make a playlist for like people who ask him how to get into fish and he finally did it a couple weeks ago he texted me while i was on set and was like i just made that fish playlist um what i later learned was in incredibly true fish uh, standard and brandon standard uh this playlist that he has made to introduce people to his favorite band fish starts with no less than one full minute of audience noise and no music yep which I didn't realize until uh, somebody pointed it out to me on a Discord. That's perfect. I, I actually have, if you want to go tit for tat, uh, Brendan, uh, you could send me that fish playlist. I'll send you a playlist for a band called No Means No. Okay. Uh, they are uh, Canadian jazz punks. On board already. Yeah, their career, they've, re- they've since retired, but their career spans from the late 70s, I want to say, into uh, the mid-aughts. Are you sure this isn't just a kids in the hall sketch? Uh, you know what? It very well could be. <laughs> I'll send you. I'll send you a no means no, uh, video playlist because I already have one holstered, ready to go. Oh, I just DM'd you my my fish playlist. Oh my gosh. Okay. Here I wasn't kidding. Yeah. Oh man, you. Really so anyway, did. um, welcome. Have fun with that. You were saying. <laughs> uh no, well, just to, you don't want to get too off track, but definitely check out no means no. Like my my playlist, Brandon. It starts with like one of the more recent songs. I do. I pull a Michael Clayton. 
I, 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 I play something towards the end of their career and then I go back to the beginning and then I pick a choice track from each album uh, along the way and then I bring it back to, to where we started. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll shoot that one over to you uh, uh, post show. But yeah, so like his sort of like jam band period, that was kind of when I got into uh, and was at my most Les Claypooliest. Yeah. Because um, like I, I, I did always enjoy Primus. Like I, I found out about them in like fifth or sixth grade. Uh, a buddy of mine uh, told me that there was a band who had a song called Professor Nutbutter's House of Treats. Dude. Which I thought was just the funniest thing in the world to call your song that because uh-huh. like it didn't occur to me that you could call a song something like that um and so i jumped on and then and got into them um and they, they were primus is great i love i love primus but i definitely got way more into his like jam band world stuff sure yeah like partially because uh of the the fish connection with uh with oyster head uh-huh. um because that was also when i was at my most uh my most fishiest um, and like the, the thing that blew me away about seeing Oysterhead is that like, I went in knowing, okay, train station and Les Claypool, two of my all time favorite musicians, two of the best in the world at, at their particular thing. And then there's this third guy who was the drummer for Sting's band. What? Like my mom likes Sting. What the fuck? And then, uh, turns out he's the best musician on that stage by a country mile and maybe the most powerful drummer in the world. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely undervalued Stuart Copeland until oh, yeah. Oysterhead came along. Uh, yeah, that I'll say this: this this is another one of those albums that, though I I mean it's, I mean this seems like a no brainer because of the Fish connection, but definitely better live than on the album. Oh yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, I w- I was at uh, when when they first released that album uh, forever ago. Um, HBO was doing a series of uh, concerts. Mm-hmm. Uh, they would, you would just like, you could tune in, uh, you know, Sunday nights at eight and, uh, that's actually probably not, that's when they do their prestige television, but there would be like, right after the Sopranos, Oysterhead. After the Sopranos, catch, uh, freaking bouncing souls. Yeah. Uh, you know, open for green day. Uh, you know, they would play these concerts. And so I went to the HBO Oysterhead, uh, showing or, uh, you know, the filming rather, uh, and that. That concert was fantastic. Uh, dancing the whole night. Uh, it, you know, a mosh pit full of hippies uh, is a lot more fun than it sounds. Yeah, the um, first time I saw I saw Primus was when they toured. Uh, they did a tour. They did two sets, and the second set was just Sailing the Seas of Cheese. And it was the first Primus tour after he had sort of started his yes. jam band uh, Lost Weekend. And it was like an almost exact... 50% split of like big burly metal dudes and like weird anxious hippies like me. Yeah. No, and I was just, waiting for like a West side story rumble to break out. That, that's, that's exactly what the fan base is. Cause there's, I've, I've made peace that they're probably not going to go back to sounding like their first three or four albums. Uh, P- Professor Nutbutter's house of treats, by the way, a hell of an opener on uh, tales from the punch bowl. Yes, that is a hell of an opener, uh, but I don't think they're going to they're going back to sounding like that. I think uh, when they created when they when they recorded animals should try not act like people. That was after he had done a couple of his jam band uh, 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 projects. 
and they just wanted to get some like shake off the last of their classic Primus kind of vibe. And I think everything since then that they've recorded uh, is evolved a bit. You know, Green Nagahide kind of has hints of it, but it's definitely they're getting weirder. Uh, and then, yeah, the, it's a little smoother too. Little just smoother. like I'm, musically. I'm curious. They might just cover Rush in an album. You know, since they're doing the tour, they're probably just going to record it. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah, I, I guess since they're doing, you know, like here's a Wonka album. Now here's one based off of like a German children's book about goblins that eat rainbows. And now here's, uh, you know, here's a here's a tribute to kings. Uh, I, that's what I see them doing. Uh, I'm I'm enjoying how they've come along, but I think a lot of their thrash metal fans maybe that are hoping for like a return to form are just going to continually be let down. That's that I think has happened with a lot of, of bands that have kind of gotten like sucked into the sort of like jam adjacent world. Like a, a very similar thing happened to ween once uh, <laughs> fish started covering roses are free. Suddenly like, hippies started showing up at, at ween concerts and, and and now ween is just like a pretty straightforward rock band but like their first few records are just some dudes like huffing paint and yelling into a tape deck uh you know uh which which isn't the most you know crunchy jam band thing to do but like they when they got pulled into that world they suddenly got this like bump up in terms of like audience size but also having to now like, well, we're sort of have to, you know, straddle the line between what we do and like what these kind of audiences are here for, which like Ween isn't going to really ever compromise uh, often to their own detriment. But uh, yeah, it was it, it felt like a very similar, similar arc. And, and they, they seem similarly kind of conflicted about it. What do you think it is with bands that like some bands, you know, and there's there's no there's no written rule or written uh, a, a mission statement when these bands start, but it's like when when a band's sound evolves versus when they change and everyone gets mad, you know? Because I think some people like seeing a band evolve. I mean, it all depends on on the on the group, I guess, or the artist. Yeah. But like, like oh man, they've got such a great musical arc. Or then it's like if if ACDC came out with like anything that didn't sound like an ACDC album, like yeah. it would be. Like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> or, like, if they tried to do, like, The Wall. Yeah. You know? I know, like, Bad Religion tried to come out with, like, a, a new wave record at one point, and they were like, oops, never mind. Okay, back to punk. Here we go. Our bad. One, I two, mean, three, four. <laughs> I mean, Ween did do a, a legitimate country western album. That's... Uh, which is actually one of their best records, and they barely play on it. That's good. That good then. Uh, wait, they barely. So like, have other musicians play on their album? Yeah, like they they were recording. <laughs> they were recording uh one of their records. Uh, I want to say it was uh the Mollusk, and and like the beach house they were using as a studio flooded or something, and they lost a bunch of demos and recordings and stuff. So they were bummed out, and they were like why don't we just go to Nashville and make a country record? And they were going to go down there and just get like a couple session guys. But the dude who produced it was like, no, if you guys are going to do this, like do it like when, you know, back in the seventies, uh, when like a rock and roll guy would try to go country and would just full on like hire 
a killer group of country session guys and just kind of like really do it properly so that's what ween did like some of the the guitar solos are, are mostly uh mostly deaner because he has a sound that you kind of can't replicate but otherwise it's just like all of these like seasoned nashville session dudes so it sounds exactly like a kind of throwbacky country western album but then you know the songs are like help me scrape the mucus off my brain <laughs> um but yeah it actually might be top to bottom their best album wow i'll check it out 12 golden country greats featuring 10 songs <laughs> okay ween is uh ween is in one of those they're one of those bands i feel like i should have given more of a chance of by now and i'm i'm finding that there are a handful of bands that I've just been sleeping on. Like I'm, I'm going through, I'm doing a deep dive on like the Melvin's discography lately. Huh. All right. I'm like upset that I'm just now like this band's been around since the eighties and I'm just now like really getting into them. Wiener difficult. Uh, I feel like to Wiener, one of those bands that you really needed to have heard for the first time when you were like 14. Yeah. Um, cause like as much as I love ween, I'm, I'm 34 years old. I don't need to see a 25 minute poop ship destroyer, you know, <laughs> or actually, you know what? Maybe Does I anyone do anyone need that. No, I was in the market for one, but you know, uh, in this economy, <laughs> the poop, the poop ship destroyers a, a little bit uh, outdated. What you want is the poop ship C, which has like a, a more efficient, uh, hybrid engine. Oh, good. Good. What, what are uh, we talking about? Uh, don't worry no, about it. No one. We're just talking about ween. We're just talking about how you have to be a very specific kind of person to be into ween. But there's Absolutely. definitely overlap between ween and primus. Oh, look, yeah. Look, I, I will push the little daisies and make them come up. All right. That's. Watch the little uh... daisy grow and the little daisy grow. Oh, that, that's. Uh, was it King Missile was the other band from that era, I think, that like the, the detachable penis. I was gonna say they did detachable penis, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, they've done a couple others uh, that I remember, but I'm, I, I feel like they're still out there. I, maybe I should actually research stuff before I go on a, a podcast and make statements. Like they're still out there doing stuff. <laughs> there was a kind of like golden age in the like, say like ninety four to ninety seven of these kind of like alt rock novelty songs. Yeah. Sort of like push the little daisies or detachable penis or like, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, or like even like pepper by the butthole surfers you could kind of put in there. Well, it was basically like because Nirvana was huge. It was like all the record companies were like, well, what does Kurt Cobain listen to? Uh, and then they're <laughs> like, who are the rentals? Yeah, he, he became or Kurt the residents became like uh, basically a like, you know, with with like a unconsensual scout for the record companies essentially. So anything he just sort of came across or like, Oh, he was spotted at this concert watching this band. We got to sign. It must be good. Yeah. It must be good. So I, I feel like there, there was just a ton of like bands that got signed in the nineties that it, it, other not, not to, not to knock them, but it was just like, how the hell would they have gotten signed otherwise? I have no oh, idea. Oh yeah, ab absolutely. Like the, the the Flaming Lips should not have ever been signed by a, a record label, but they they were because it was the '90s, and it's just happened to have worked out for the long haul. That that hamster bubble 
fucking concert I keep seeing pictures of. Look, I'm not claustrophobic, but I, I feel like I would hate that. That's just if you, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, if if the if the audience hasn't uh, heard about it, the Flaming Lips for years, uh, their singer has been doing this thing where at the beginning of the show, he'll roll over the crowd in basically just a big hamster ball, and like it's sort of their big like introductory bit, um, and it's really cool. It's it's a great moment in a live show, but. Um, once the pandemic happened, uh, they just apparently bought a fuck ton of these space bubbles, um, and like they recorded their uh, uh, their tiny desk uh, with everybody in individual space bubbles all in this one little studio. But they've recently been doing uh, bubble shows uh, in Oklahoma City, which is exactly what it sounds like. They cram a club full of uh, as many of these space bubbles as they can with people in them uh, and do a show that way. And everybody's given like a little like transistor radio basically that they bring into their bubble so they can hear. Um, and there are people walking around with like, you know, to, to refill your bubble with cool air or like get rid of condensation. It, it seems like a, like way more trouble than it's worth, but also really a really cool thing to be doing right now you know hey you go have a blast man i i feel like i would just hate that. oh yeah no i don't think i would enjoy it very much but... out of here <laughs> uh, i i got punched in the face once at a flaming lips concert oh during what during what song um oh god now i'm trying to remember yoshimi uh no it wasn't yoshimi um this this would have been like 2007 or so. Um, basically, what happened is uh, it was within a couple songs because like all of the big balloons were still bouncing over the crowd and people were popping them seemingly right behind my fucking head. Um, but uh, at one point, me and the couple three people that I was standing near all kind of got like lurched forward, and we turned around and there was this dude who just like looked simultaneously like panicked and aggressive just like clearly having some sort of drug freak out um and we made eye contact then he just sort of swung up at me and like hit me sort of like right on my like where my eyebrows are like right above my glasses and just sort of like i was just i I wasn't even mad i was just like what the what the fuck uh, and then by the time I could, like, process, like, what had happened, I looked over, and he just, like, had passed out. My God. All right. <laughs> yeah. And that, that was literally one of my first New York City concert experiences. Yeah, welcome to New York City. My mom would have pulled me out of college if she ever heard that story. <laughs> I went to a Rob Zombie concert once in my youth, and I haven't I, – I am normally – uh, uh, wanted to go to punk shows, and so this is one of the few metal shows I went to. And the, you know the, you know the music's so rocking, everyone's going off. It's a great show. Like say what you want about his movies, Rob Zombie puts on a hell of a concert. All right, I'll just I'll I'll I'll, I'll back him up there. I'll co-sign. I there. bet he does. That he does. He pulls out all the stops. There's giant robots moving around. He's playing. He's playing a devil man anime <laughs> on the screen behind him. Uh, That's fair. It's, it's, it's pretty great. Uh, and so I'm like, I'm young. I'm a young guy. I'm like, hey, I want to fucking crowd surf right now. And so I find this big guy next to me going off. And I tap him on the shoulder and I kind of mouth and gesture. I was like, can you lift me 
up. And he looks at me and goes, fuck you. With a big <laughs> <laughs> middle finger right in my face and then shoves me back in the pit. Uh, Yay. Yeah. And I was like, and that's, that's the difference between punks and metalheads. Like, I would have <laughs> yeah. Actually, the, the the first time I saw Primus was really the first time I'd ever seen like crowd surfing on on any scale. And I was on the rail, but I was off to the far left, so I wasn't in like the like where the proper pit was because I was fucking terrified of being in the proper pit. But yeah. music nerd me wanted to be as close as possible, um, and it almost got down to like it looked like it was almost like a theme park ride where like people would crowd surf and then just kind of get dropped politely yeah. uh, behind the barrier. And then the security guys would be like that way, please. Yes. <laughs> and point them out. And then suddenly, Oh, the crowd surfers are now in the front. That's how you, that's, that's called working with the crowd. You know, they <laughs> gonna happen. Uh, and yeah, the whole, like just the whole, like <laughs> corralling people back into the crowd. That's that's security doing their job. Right. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> so um, before we wrap up, if yeah. and I know we sort of started uh, trying to answer this a little while ago. If you had to pick like a couple Primus or Les Claypool songs to maybe recommend to, to people as like a just a way to get a good taste of what their what his deal his various deals are. Okay, I'll, I'll try. And I want to thank you both for putting up with my ADHD. It's been on fire this morning. Oh, th- uh, this, same, this is how same, this show normally same. goes. Oh, good, good, good. Yeah. We're, we all, all we all have it today. Great. Uh, I will say this. Uh, if you like, I, I think I tried to say this earlier. If you just want a quick shot to know if this is your thing or not, uh, I would recommend Animals Should Try and Not Act Like People. It's five songs. I'd say the first and the last are some of my favorites. And then uh, everything in between is just sort of a, you know, they're good songs, but if, you know, it's not your thing. They'll test your patience. So it's kind of a good litmus test. Or if you just want to straight up enjoy yourself, look up their Woodstock performance. Oh, that's a good one. You know, from uh, 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 the 90s, uh, it's them at their peak. It's like, you know, uh, I want to say their first three albums, uh, or four really. Uh, I think that the songs they play come off of uh, uh, Frizzle Fry, uh, Sailing the Seas of Cheese, and Pork Soda. I mean, that's really, those are the albums they're most known for, I would say. Maybe, you know, their fourth one. But you're going to get a, a solid, uh, uh, I'd say a solid variety of, of their core stuff. And if you like it, explore at your own leisure. And if you're a Beatles fan, check out the Claypool Lennon Delirium. They're, they're great. Yeah, that that I was surprised at how how good both of those records were. They're great. They're really good albums. And uh, I gave I used to give Sean Lennon a lot of shit because for having a music career just kind of fall in his lap. But turns out it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Not a big Danny Harrison fan, are you? Uh, you know what? He he knows what he did. <laughs> um, I I think if I think if I had to pick a couple, um, the two Primus songs I would suggest are Mr. Crinkle.
Mm. And my name is Mud. Both of which also have really cool music videos, um, which we never even really got into, like, the visual aesthetic of, of their music videos. But they're oh, these yeah. very, like, Baroque, like, there's a lot of stop motion. Uh, the music video for Mr. Crinkle is one long shot. One long uh, shot. All of, of their fucking weird friends doing yeah. all their talent show talents. <laughs> and, like, uh, Claypool's there in, like, a pig mask and oh. like a weird like fat suit like a like a fat pig man suit playing an upright bass and just like dancing around and like doing little twirls for five minutes see that's the life right there it really that's, is that's being able to just be like i got this idea i want to wear a full body suit uh and, and play my upright bass and have all my friends cruise through and do some cool stuff you know yeah i mean yeah yeah. Fucking get it. Maybe like a speed face. <laughs> get it. Kind of. Primus has big speed face energy. Yeah. Local local LA sketch comedy uh, you know, reference. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> From there, if you wanted to get more into kind of the jammier side of of uh the Claypool continuum, uh I would recommend uh the song Mr. Oysterhead by Oysterhead, which is maybe just the most Oysterhead song possible like like yeah it's the one that their their name is in but it just feels like if if you don't like these three flavors together there's no fucking reason to continue with the rest of the record We haven't even touched on the Buckethead connection, by the way. Oh no, yeah, we haven't. The that's uh, a whole other. If you're if you're a virtuoso type, Buckethead, Monsters and Robots. He's he's on there. Yeah, like, you'll get plenty of that. I don't even know if that if that band is any good, but there's certainly Les Claypool has a way of bringing together. Yeah, lots of very disparate people. Uh, like one of uh, one of the the band we're talking about right now is. Uh, Colonel Claypool's bucket of Bernie brains. One of the best live shows I've ever seen. Oh, when did you, when did you see them? I must, I must've saw them around the time the album came out. So I want to say like 2004, 2005. Was, was that when they were still just doing like fully improvised shows or, or had they started kind of doing 
little bits of songs. I mean, they had like they're they're rooted in those songs, but I mean, I was dancing the whole time, and then even when I was like, I, I was I was up near the front of the show dancing the whole time, and even when I was like, oh, okay, I guess I could go get a glass of water or something. There's no leaving because everyone was just up up front having a good time dancing. Oh and, yeah, yeah. Bernie Worrell, rest in peace, on keys. Brian Mantia, their drummer who filled in on two albums, of Primus, like is is there with them. Buckethead, crushing it. Very much doing his Buckethead thing. Yeah, so if you're in a Buckethead from Guitar Guitar Hero. That's... <laughs> from Guitar Magazines. Yeah, yes. Uh, but yeah, uh, if I had to hone it down to one song, I'd, I'd say Professor Nutbutter's House of Treats. Another another good one. Um, I think Thelo and Ginjit is on one of them, that, uh, but there's like three uh, Colonel Claypool's Fearless Flying Frog Brigade records. Yeah. Two of them are live ones, and one of them is a studio album, Purple Onion, which which I do like. It, it's sort of this like satire of like early aughts media culture. It's I think some of his most consistent sounding stuff. Uh, from that period, because, like, after that, he really leaned into these, like, solo records where it was, like, a bass and, like, a distorted auto harp and a sax. Yeah, there are a couple, I would say, don't, uh, unless you you feel you're really into it. But, yeah, don't uh, don't get anywhere near of Whales and Woe or uh, Fungi, of fungi and and Foes. I was yeah. gonna say, yeah, that's, that's uh, the far ends of the Claypool gallery. And, like, don't get me wrong, of Whales and Woe is a fucking incredible album name. Right. But maybe he should have just given it to the Decemberists instead. Yeah, I was going to say, that sounds like it should have just been a Decemberist <laughs> album. Yeah. Um, but one of uh, the, the two uh, live, uh, live Frogs records that they did, the first one is just, you know, original stuff and covers, but the second one is a full cover of the Animal Albums, uh, the album Animals by Pink Floyd. Uh, which is really, which is is a cool way of seeing the thing we were talking earlier about how like, if Les Claypool's on it, it's gonna sound like a Les Claypool song. Yeah, no, no getting around that. Oh yeah. So, uh, Eric Wargo, is there anything, any other topics in Claypoolania that we haven't covered that you would like to cover before I mean, we wrap up? Uh, you know, I mean, he he's he's done the robot chicken theme, the South Park theme. He's known for. Uh, oh yeah, I forgot about that. You can check out like if you want to hear if you if you really like South Park, uh, check out the song Whamola and prepare to have your mind blown at an extended version of basically the South Park theme. I, I think that's about it. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'm not. I don't really watch the show so much anymore these days, but it's it, it's a little banger of a song. The pandemic special was. Ugh. I don't know. I don't know if those guys. Uh, I don't know when they lost their fastball, but like, I I, I only got halfway through it. I was like, this is just not. Ugh. 
Um, but yeah, the the they've been I think they've been using the remixed Whamola version of that theme for longer than they ever used the original one. Yeah, no. At this point, it's the and that itself is an instrument I hope to one day have, where it's basically one big thick bass string. I thought I heard that bird. Mm-hmm. I heard this noise in the background, and I was like, it sounds like purring. I don't know. Maybe Eric has a cat. Maybe it's not, but there's that bird. Yeah, no, my cat plopped down on my lap, and ah. then it literally just put her face into the microphone and went. <laughs> She's obsessed with Brandon, and ah. she does this stupid little purr with her mouth open where she goes like. <laughs> I heard that in the background. Mm. I'm sorry. I got really excited about hearing my cat in the other room. But yeah, the whamola. The Whamola. Look up look up the Wham not just the song the Wham Whamola, but the instrument Whamola from which it is named. It is uh yeah, it's a hand cranked upright bass that you hit with a drumstick. And that's Yeah, it has one string. One string. It's a wild instrument. And like the song Whamola, that's what you can do with a Whamola. Yeah, it's <laughs> like yeah. it's one of those instruments where like it doesn't have a lot of range, but the thing it does is really cool. If he ever writes another song using it, I guarantee you it's going to be called Whamola Two. Oh yeah, <laughs> the way Metallica does Unforgiven song. <laughs> <laughs> and and rather than do no 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 no, it's going to be boom 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 boom. Yeah. It's a slide whistle for pink <laughs> That's. <laughs> I uh, I I fixed the whamola. It goes up now. It goes up and down, but that's it. Um. <laughs> well, uh, Eric Wargo, uh, thank you for joining us uh, today. Thank you both for having me. This is this is cool to get this. I won't be talking about Primus for at least another week now, so this is good. Yeah, that, I mean that's what that's what we're here for. We're here so people can talk about a thing that no one wants. To hear them talk about anymore <laughs> oh well I, I appreciate i appreciate uh, uh uh you guys have me and anytime you want me to come back talk about anything else i'm game hell yes well um if people wanted to uh call you aloysius devadonder abercrombie uh which is long for mud and find you on the internet uh how could they do that they could do that uh on most social media i go i just go by my name eric wargo uh that's e-r-i-k <laughs> Uh, Wargo, spelled like it sounds, W-A-R-G-O. Uh, it's not I'm... a great sound in the background, babe. You know what it sounds like? You know what that sound you're making sounds like? It sounds like when you're on hold with CVS and you give them your info and you have to listen to the machine process while it looks up your information. That's the sound you're making in the background right now. Your name is Mud. Sorry, Eric. No, it's all good. That's the sound I would make when uh, I used to live in this one house and we had a roommate that never interacted with us they just go to the kitchen grab their stuff and go back to their room and we'd be hanging out the other roommates and i would be in that living room and anytime they went to the kitchen we just sort of make that sound oh that they're here and then okay they're going back but yeah you can if you like if you like thoughts like that you can find me on most social media as Eric Wargo, E-R-I-K-W-A-R-G-O. Um, and that's all I got to plug, really. I'm on Night Church, but uh, don't worry about that. We'll, we'll, we'll make <laughs> But don't worry about it. Don't worry yeah. about it. We'll be back when it's time. Night Church will come and find you, yes. Night, Night Church will send you a DM straight to your dreams. 
<laughs> well, basically, yeah, Ska Dad will will be there. Uh, Ska Dad will just show up in your nightmares. He'll show up. Pick it up. Pick it up. Pick it up. Pick it up. Um, if you wanted to find more of uh my mess, I'm at Hell Yes Brandon uh along uh all the hell sites across God's great green internet. Um, Inkblot uh is on SoundCloud and YouTube. We've got some live shows on there. Our demo, our uh, our wild cover of a uh, little drop of poison by Tom Waits, where uh, oh, yeah. I blew out my voice singing in a Tom Waits howl. Um, my EP hat and a hat should hopefully be out by now. If it is, okay. it's at brandonbeck.bandcamp.com. If it's not, right. it will be at brandonbeck.bandcamp.com. Oh, jeez. All right. Um, in fact, here is a here is a a preview. No. Why are we doing more bits? I mean, we're always doing more bits. All right. I'm just Beth, gonna start about you? talking. So, uh, yeah, you can find me everywhere at at B scores, B-E-S-C-O-R-E-S underscore at the end of that. Uh, but the easiest way to find me is to follow the podcast online, which is at IntuitPod on Twitter and hashtag IntuitPod on Instagram because you can follow hashtags. So go follow us so you get all the notifications about our posts. Um, thank you, as always, to Kaylin West and Tiny Stills for the use of our theme song. Starting over is a lot like giving up off the album. Falling is like flying. Also... Uh, the week this is coming out, this Thursday, is our monthly show on Twitch. Um, I hope you joined us last month for our uh, I Think You Hate It Spectacular. Uh, and I don't know what we're doing this month yet, but it's sure to be a great show. It's 8 p.m. on Thursday, 8 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, pack, nope, twitch.tv slash pack theater. Uh, and yeah, check out, check out, follow us on social media and uh, check out what's coming up. That's all. I mean, because we record these early, which is why I don't know what we're doing yet. I'm I'm saying this as if we've recorded it, and I know, but I don't. This is like a month ahead of time. We haven't even done the one. I just thank you for coming to. Don't worry too much about it. Well, I remember it is over a meal ago. Uh, Wargo plug section ever. What's up? Uh, thank you so much for uh for joining us today. Uh, forty five minutes southeast of Tippetoe, Louisiana. Thanks for hanging out and talking. Uh, slap base weirdos. All that. Being said, podcast. Podcast over. Over. Over.